0: Good morning, church. Well, the best way, really, to, have the, to follow this sermon is to have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 1. We are starting a new series, if you are new with us, and uh, yeah, if I'm not wrong, it's probably one of the few times that we covered the book of Romans, and uh, we know the book of Romans is such a big book, and, uh, and so many things that's inside there, and I want to encourage all of us to keep coming, to keep learning from this letter, so that it will build up our faith and they will inspire and encourage us uh, to be proclaimers of the gospel. Now, if you find it helpful to f- have an outline of you, you can download the bulletin on our website, or if you need a hard copy, there's some printed ones at the back. But the best thing is to keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 1, because I'll be referring to it much. Now, what might you be ashamed of? See, for some of us, We may be ashamed of our past, things that we wish we did not do and things we wish we had done. For others, you may be ashamed of your your profession or or your school. You are hesitant to tell others what you do or where you study. For some, if not many of our children and youth, you may be somewhat ashamed of your parents. You know, you don't like to be seen with them, right? By your friends or, or your schoolmates. You think it is not cool when you have your parents around you. You rather that they do not turn up for any of your school events. See, and if you bump into friends on the streets when you are with your parents, you start of you know, siam and you avoid your friends and, or quickly just say hi and bye, right? Now, as parents ourselves, we are also aware of that. Now, we often ask our children, Now, if they mind us turning up at their school events, their their competitions, or even their parties. Well, thankfully, my children aren't too ashamed of us. But then again, they have no choice, right? Five days uh, in the school week in Kochuan, I'm there. (laughs) Saturday at basic, I am there. Sunday at services, I am there. Right? Ashamed or not, they got to live with it. But what about preaching or sharing the gospel? Are we ashamed of it? Now, in a very key verse in the book of Romans, that's in chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul said that he is not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, verse 15 tells us that he is very eager to preach the gospel especially to those in rome see why is paul so eager and unashamed in preaching the gospel well you can say that he has every worldly reason to feel ashamed see to preach a gospel of christ the messianic king crucified on the cross is a stumbling block to the jews and folly to the Gentiles, as Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. See, no one will be proud to follow a king who was shamefully hung on the cross. And of all places, Paul was going to Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire. See, the Roman Empire was the most powerful empire at that time. See, apart from Athens, Rome would have been the next, if if not the most, intimidating city in the time. So who is Paul to tell the people of this great empire what they truly need? See, Paul would be like a country bumpkin telling the city folks what they are missing out in life. But Paul was not deterred. He was eager and unashamed to preach the gospel in Rome and anywhere else. And why is that so? Why is Paul so eager and unashamed to preach the gospel? And that's what we will find out in th- today in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. And the first reason is because Paul is called to preach the gospel. And we see that in his God-given mandate, message, and his mission so firstly his mandate or we say his authority see paul introduces himself as the servant of christ jesus now it was a common title to the to the prophets in the old testament they're always called the servant of the lord but but for for paul his master is now redefined as christ jesus now the word translated servant is a bit mild. It's literally slave so it's a humble title you could say speaks of Paul's humility and his total devotion to his master to do what he says. At the same time, Paul is also an apostle. Now, we use that very often in the Bible, right? But what does that mean? Apostle it just means messenger in very, in very general terms. However, Paul is using it specifically to refer to an eyewitness of Jesus and is appointed by Jesus to speak God's word with his authority. And then the last part of verse 1 tells us that Paul, as an apostle, is set apart for the very specific purpose of preaching the gospel of God. Now, which leads us to the next part in verses 2 to 4, which Paul summarizes the message of the gospel he was called to preach. So what do we know about the gospel? If I asked you what is the gospel, what would you say? But here we see a great summary of the gospel. It's literally good news, right? The word gospel means good news. See, in those days, emperors proclaimed good news. Good news about their victories or their coronation. But the good news, the gospel that Paul is preaching, however, is the good news about God's victory and the coronation of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, And we know further that this gospel was promised beforehand through God's prophets. Now this means that the gospel was not, you know, sometimes we see that or we think that the gospel is just something new in the New Testament. But it's not. The Old Testament scripture actually points to the fulfillment of this gospel in Christ Jesus. So that means what? That means that the centre and the focus of this gospel is God's Son. You see, Jesus is the King and the fulfilment of all of God's promises. That means we must be very careful not to make the focus of the gospel a set of doctrines, a set of propositions. And the gospel is not even just about us. Even though we are the beneficiaries of this gospel, The gospel is ultimately about that one person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what does the gospel say about Jesus, the Son of God? Well, verse 3 tells us that he was descended from David. In other words, he is the Messianic king that is prophesied in the Old Testament to come and rule. And he descended according to the flesh that will mean his incarnation as a weak and a humble human being like us but if you see a parallelism there the parallel ver- phrase in a in verse four tells us that he is no ordinary human being or no ordinary king see by Jesus' resurrection from the dead he is declared or shall i say appointed to the, to be the son of god in power now, this does not mean that Je- Jesus wasn't the Son of God before that. See, Jesus was the Son of God from eternity past. However, His resurrection put Him in a new and more powerful position to rule and to save. As a result, we all now live in a new era or a new age of the Spirit as Romans 7-8 to 8 will elaborate. So with that mandate from God... With the message of the gospel paul's mission now according to verse 5 is then to preach this gospel to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nation now there are three things to highlight here from verse 5 about his mission the purpose the reason and the scope the purpose the reason and the scope Now, firstly, it tells us that the purpose of preaching the gospel is not merely just to save people, it's to bring an obedience of faith. Now, obedience of faith means that it is an obedience that comes from faith. And perhaps more accurately or more simply, it is an obedience that comes from having faith in Christ. See, you know, when we share the gospel, we often invite people, oh, come, come, come and believe in Jesus to be saved. Right? Well, that's right. But it can sometimes be misunderstood as simply a thing of the mind, an intellectual agreement that Jesus says, I believe. However, having faith in Christ means not only to trust Him, but actually to submit to him, as Lord of our lives. In other words, Jesus Christ is not only our Savior, but also our Lord. Now, you may have perhaps heard of, you know, Christians or so-called Christians telling you that, "Well, we have faith in Jesus; we are a Christian, right?" However, they choose to live. However, they want they date or marry whoever they like. They indulge in whatever activities they want. And pursue whatever they want in this world and yet they will say i'm a christian and i believe in jesus now to be clear our obedience or our morality does not save us however the gospel is about saving us from sin to live a life in submission to the lord and that is the life That God has created and designed us to live. So, how can there be true faith without obedience? They must come together. See, Jesus must be both our Saviour and our Lord. It's no wonder that Paul will write later on in Romans chapter 12 to 15 on how Christians must live. As a result, how they must live as a result of receiving these saving mercies of God. It's a transformed life. So, my friends, this means that the Gospels cause us not merely to believe in Jesus as Savior, but really to submit to Him as Lord. And the Gospel is sufficient and necessary for that. Hence, Paul is eager and unashamed to preach it. right? That's, that is the first part. But secondly, Mich- Paul's mission tells us that the aim is for the sake of God's name. So it tells us that the preaching of the gospel is neither for our personal gain, nor even sometimes for the love of the sinners. Sometimes we want to preach the gospel because we love them, right? That's true. But it is ultimately for the love of God. When sinners believe and behold the wondrous beauty and the majesty of God through Jesus Christ, God is glorified. So it's for Him, not merely for us. But lastly, the scope of Paul's preaching. It is for all the nations, including those in Rome and anywhere else. Now, it's not just meant for one race, Or one social status it is for all now at this point you may wonder wow that's a very long introduction to Paul now that is truly the longest introduction of all of Paul's letters and perhaps even all the Greek letters in those days why is there a need for such an elaborate introduction of himself his mandate his message and his mission now we often have guests of honours you know, in big events, right? For example, school speech day, grand openings, or our very own Let's Carnival. Now when we have the president, or the prime minister, or any minister as guests of honour, we do not need to introduce them much, right? Now, we just we all know who they are and what they do. So we will simply introduce them as, you know, who who Mr. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so, and the minister or whatever ministry before they even make a speech. And that's all we need to do. However, for example, in a speech day, when you invite somebody who is unfamiliar, let's say an alumni of the school as a guest of honour, then we will give a long introduction of, well, which year he or she graduated from, what he or she did after graduation, and what were his or her accomplishments. Why is that so? That's because nobody knows who they are. Right? This is to establish some kind of a connection, uh, perhaps give some credence to him or her as the speaker. You see, the Church of Rome was not planted by Paul. Now, we do not know when, we do not know how the churches in Rome started. Right? And in all likelihood, those who became Christians during the Uh, during the Pentecost in Acts 2 or those who were scattered after the stoning of Stephen in Acts 8 brought this gospel all the way to Rome, the capital. And the first Christians in Rome were probably Jews as the preaching of the gospel often begins at the synagogue. However, in AD 49, all the Jews, including all the Jewish Christians, they were all expelled from Rome. So who do you think will be left in the churches in Rome? It will be the Gentile Christians, right? And by the time Paul wrote this letter in AD 57, about eight years later, the Jews were already allowed to go back to Rome. But now the church was filled with who? Filled with more Gentile Christians than Jewish Christians. Now some of the practices in church would have changed to be sort of less Jewish in nature. Now the Jewish Christians would probably, you know, previously would have kept practices such as circumcision and avoidance of certain food even though they became Christians. But the Gentile Christians would be rather free on such things. So you can imagine there will be tensions between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians in the same church. You see, even for us, when a church member who went overseas for a few years, they find it strange when they return, like, oh, something has changed in the church. Now, what more between two very distinct group of Christians, the Jewish and the Gentile believers? So Paul wrote to address these issues and the place of the Jews in salvation history in this letter. But the Roman Christians might be thinking, but who is Paul? What authority does he have? So Paul has to lay it out for the readers of this letter because he did not plant the church. He has not even met them before. However, as the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostle, he has authority to speak to them. And even in the introduction, the terms that he used to describe the gospel and his mission was so loaded in meaning right it's meant to address the situation see the gospel was promised beforehand in the old testament and fulfilled in the new testament in christ what does that mean well that means that both jews and gentiles were part of god's salvation history the jews have their place even though many of them rejected christ but more of that will be explained in the later chapters of Romans. And the scope of the Gospel, as Paul said it, was meant for everyone, Jews and Gentiles. And Paul goes on in the next few chapters to address that in depth. And the emphasis on this obedience of faith was to counter perhaps the accusation by some in the Jewish quarters, that the gospel uh, is, is, is so law-free. It's a license to a one-time life. But lastly, Paul himself planned to preach the gospel in Spain where the gospel has not been preached before. Now, if you know your European uh, geography, Spain is further west of Rome. Now, Antioch, which will be in the east, will be too far a base for Paul. So he was hoping that he would be supported by the churches in Rome, in Rome for this endeavour to preach the gospel in Spain. But he can't do that when the church is still divided and unsure about the gospel. So for Paul, preaching the gospel is the only solution to fulfil his calling. So we come back to the question here, right? Why is Paul so eager and unashamed to preach the gospel? Well, the first reason is because he was called by God to do so in Rome and beyond Rome to bring about the obedience of faith for the glory of God. But secondly, it is Paul's desire to have mutual encouragement and a harvest You know, after this long introduction, Paul then gave thanks for all of them because their faith is proclaimed in all the world. And Paul then wants the Roman Christians to know that he frequently and regularly prays for them as part of his heartfelt concern for them. And he prays specifically to be able to visit them. But what was Paul longing to do in Rome? He's not there just to visit the big, beautiful sights that a lot of us go for. See, verse 11 tells us that it's so that he can impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them. Now, what is this spiritual gift that he wants to impart? Well, I guess it's probably his preaching and teaching of the gospel. See, this preaching and the teaching of the gospel will indeed strengthen the church. But Paul immediately qualifies this strengthening in verse 12 to be mutual encouragement by each other's faith. Now you would imagine that, you know, preaching the gospel is a one-way traffic from Paul, right? You know, Paul just preaches and, uh, and, uh, and the hearers just get strengthened. But No the result of paul's ministry is so that all parties will be able to encourage one another now that means that the hearers will produce a response that will in turn encourage paul now it could be their receptivity to god's word that results in obedience and faith that will encourage paul or perhaps it may simply be that the Roman Christians will give acts of service and words of encouragement to Paul. It is a two-way traffic, not just one. And this mutual encouragement will probably mean more than just between Paul and the Roman Christians. It will probably be a mutual encouragement among all those in the church as well. Now, my brothers and sisters in Christ, this has great implications for us in church. Now, what do you think we come to church service for? Why do you go for your discipleship group? Why do you go for basic? Why do you go for Rhoda Fellowship, Tabitha Fellowship, or BAS? Now, for sure, we are here and we go to all those groups to hear God's Word preached and taught to us. That is God's given way for us to be strengthened in our faith. So indeed, we must come prepared to listen to God's word and not come to be entertained. However, it cannot stop there. We are not mere passive listeners. We are to respond rightly to the preached word in obedience of faith. And through that, we will then encourage one another So the next time you finish your Bible study or when the service is over, think about how you can mutually serve and encourage one another. See, when we pray for or we hear about about how each other is really trying to live out a godly life in this fallen world, then we will be mutually encouraged. You are not just a sponge listening. You are to live it out. And as Elder Wingpo prayed just now, right, we are not here just to listen. We are here also to encourage and to serve one another. And so that's why Paul longs to go to Rome. He desires to preach the gospel to be mutually encouraged. But in addition, verse 13 tells us that he also wants to reap some harvest among the Roman Christians as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, meaning the non-Christians. Now, harvest language here means to reap some fruits spiritually. Now, to have a harvest among the Roman Christians would be to have them grow in spiritual maturity in faith and life. And to have a harvest among the Gentiles, on the other hand, would be to see others coming to faith In Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul wants to preach this gospel in Rome to both edify, which means to build up the church, and to evangelize the non believers. Now, in both endeavors, the means to do that is still the preaching of the gospel of God concerning his son. See, we often identify, right, that the gospel of God is. It's just the, it's the means to bring non Christians to faith. It's as if that's all the gospel is meant to be. But far from it, the growth and the living out of the Christian life is still rooted in the very same gospel. And how do we know that? Know that the very structure of the letter of Romans gives us the evidence of it. Now, I adapted this from uh, Douglas Moore's commentary. And you can, yeah, we can take a look at this and see how the gospel is not meant merely just for evangelism. It's also for all of life. Why? If you look at chapter 1 to 4, it spells out the center of the gospel. And that is to help Jews and Gentile Christians to resolve their tensions. How do they resolve their tensions? Again, it is the gospel because all are made righteous by faith with and without the law. And then in chapter 5 to 8, Paul then assures them of their hope of salvation even in their struggle with sin and with suffering in this fallen world. And again, the confidence of this hope is based on what Jesus had done by his resurrection from the dead. So it's not just evangelism. He then defended the gospel in chapter 9 to 11 because of the problem that many of the Jews were not believing. So what then is the place of the Jews? What then is the place of the law as they face tensions among themselves? Again, Paul explains with the gospel that was promised beforehand. And lastly, as I mentioned earlier, the gospel is the basis of the transformed life of a Christian it is expounded for us in Romans twelve to fifteen. So as you can see clearly in this overview of the letter, the gospel is not merely for evangelism; it is essential for everything in a Christian's life. So do not be sick and tired of the gospel, as if we need more than the gospel. If we want to live under the Lord in obedience, we will always have to go back to the gospel, but to dig deeper and to understand its significance and its implications for all of life. So why is Paul so eager and unashamed to preach the gospel? Well, the first reason is because he was called by God to do so in Rome and beyond Rome to bring about the obedience of faith for God's glory. Secondly, it is Paul's desire to have mutual encouragement and a harvest. But lastly, it's because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. You see, verse 15 and 16 tells us that Paul was really very eager to preach the gospel to those in Rome. But well, there are many reasons to be ashamed of the gospel, He was not. And why is that so? For it is the power of God for salvation. You know, this phrase, power of God, is often used in the Old Testament to refer to God's power in, in delivering and saving people, God's people from, from their enemies. But now, it refers to the salvation from sin and condemnation and where does his power for salvation comes from well it comes from God through Jesus' resurrection from the dead See, through Jesus' death and resurrection he saves us both from the penalty and the power of sin that is the gospel that is the good news and then verse 17 tells us that it is in this gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, what is this righteousness of God? Is this righteousness of, of God God's attribute of righteousness as He maintains justice and mercy through the gospel? Or is it His activity to make things right, His righteous acts? Or is it His achievement through the cross by giving us the status of righteousness before God. Now, there are so many debates about it, and I'm not going to blow your mind at this point of the sermon, right? But as John Stott and many other scholars say, it's a combination of two or three of all these possibilities. After all, it is true that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ reveals all three aspects. It reveals God's righteous attribute has He made things right by conferring us a righteous standing before God through the gospel. But my friends, this this salvation is only effective for all those who believe. It does not matter whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, a Greek or a barbarian, which means that you're not a Greek, right? Wise, foolish, the only way to be saved is by having faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hence, Paul is ever eager and unashamed to preach this gospel. Now, what does all this mean for us today? Well, firstly, it means that the gospel is meant for everyone. See, the apostle paul took pains even in these short 17 verses to emphasize that the jews with all their history their law keeping needed the gospel to be saved the greeks with all their knowledge and wisdom needed the gospel to be saved too and similarly for all the opposites of the gentiles and the barbarians in short it means that everyone regardless of race heritage, family background, status, and intellectual abilities, they all need to believe and submit to Jesus in order to be saved. However, we often presume, presume who needs or who doesn't need the gospel. We often think ah, it's the criminals, the schemers, the backstabbers, the bullies, and those who live a loose or wanton life, they need the gospel. That is true. They indeed need the gospel. Otherwise, what awaits them is condemnation and judgment. But perhaps some of us here who grew up in church or have been in church for a very long time, we might think we are saved by default or by our knowledge of God's word, all by our Christian practices. See, my friend, if that is so, all the Jews would have been saved, which is, of course, not true. The churchgoers, the law-abiding people, and the good-behaving kids are also in need of the gospel. Otherwise, they face the same condemnation and judgment. That is because we are all sinners and we are in need of being saved. But more of that in Romans 2-3. But the point is clear. Everyone needs the gospel. You, me, the churchgoer, the criminal, and everyone on the streets. And that brings us to a second application point here. right? If everyone needs the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation, then all of us have the obligation to preach it to everyone. See, Romans 10 will emphasize that people can't be saved if they did not hear the gospel. It will be up to us to bring the gospel to others. But we may be Ashamed to do that. Why might we be? Perhaps we are ashamed to be identified as a Christian. See, being a Christian may not be that cool, you know. In some countries, you may be persecuted for being one. Perhaps in Singapore, you may be targeted, ridiculed or cancelled for being one. Why? Because preaching the true gospel will involve calling a sin, sin. Sin. That is offensive to many. How dare you tell me that I'm a sinner and I'm condemned? You may also be ridiculed because, as a Christian because we are seen as weak and therefore we need a crutch. And perhaps we may be ridiculed for being unscientific or irrational. As a result, we became ashamed of the gospel because we are afraid of people looking down on us as if we cannot fend for ourselves. Or lastly, we'll be ashamed of the gospel and then not preach it because we are afraid of being rejected. We are afraid of, you know, losing friends or family. If we, we keep talking about sin, judgment and salvation. See, my friends, I, I too can feel ashamed at times. See, so I'm much bolder here because I'm in the presence of Christians, right? See, but when I see in a taxi or a grab or, or neighbours in the leaf ask me what I work as, I'm always not very ready to say I'm a pastor. And even when I do, I'm also not always courageous enough to follow up with sharing the gospel. See, I was once on a plane with a stranger beside me. Now, this stranger struck up a conversation with me when I wasn't too keen to have one, right? You may not know I'm an introvert. I really want my own time, right? But this stranger, you know, struck a conversation with me for a good four hours. And then he he asked this fatal question, what do you do for work? Oh, I like, oh. So I immediately prayed in my heart for God to give me the courage to turn this conversation to a gospel moment. And God did. I was able to share the gospel with Him as we talked for hours on the plane. I mean, I don't know what God is going to do with that encounter with this person. But yet, at the same time, I know of others who had similar experiences that brought people. Christ. So we must pray. Pray to be convicted in our hearts that the gospel is the only way and the only power of God to salvation for everyone. May that make us eager and unashamed to preach this gospel. Let us rise and pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you that many have preached the gospel to us in our lives such that we come to believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation and also to grow in our faith. Forgive us when we felt ashamed of the gospel, but give us the conviction that your gospel is indeed needed for all. And may we have the grace, the opportunities and the courage to share it for the salvation of others and ultimately for your glory. In the name of our risen Lord and Saviour, we pray. Amen.